Welcome to the I Am Hunter podcast. You are listening to Jess, Tash and Rod and today we're going to have a chat to Steve Hall. He is the president of the Game Hunters Association of Australia um, and that's a hunting club that's based out of Queensland. They are a pretty cool organisation. We've had a chat to Steve before over the phone um, and talked about working together with them because they have very similar objectives to us, um, which is promoting safe hunting, training their members and things like that to improve their hunting skills um, and working with landholders and government authorities to actually bring a better understanding out between hunters and landowners. So um, we're going to get him on the phone. Have a listen. Here we go. Hello, is that Steve Hall? Yeah, right. G'day, Steve. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How are you? Very well, very well. Mate, um, we've just called you for the podcast. Yep. Um, uh, we've got a, obviously a few different things we'd like to ask you about the, the um, Game Hunters Association, about your background and a few things like that. Um, yep. We are recording and not live, but podcasting right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got um, Jess and Tash here with me. Hi, Steve. Um, how's everyone in Tassie tonight? Yeah, good. Doing well. Trying to stay warm. It's bloody cold here the last couple of days. Yeah, it's uh, we we've had cold weather on the on the Gold Coast too, too but we, I won't I won't tell you what the temperatures were. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guarantee you we wouldn't call it cold. <laughs> I think um, in some parts of Hobart this morning, it was like minus three degrees or something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone breaks out the uggies and um, jeans here when it gets to 23. <laughs> yeah. That's right. hot for Hobart. That's like yeah. summer. We're like still a bit in, of sun we're, and 23 and everyone's out in shorts and a t-shirt at that stage. Yeah. We're, we're going swimming. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, are, you, are you happy to start, Steve? Yeah, I'll just give a little bit of an intro to say that you're here, um, and then we'll we'll jump into some of the questions. Right, no worries. All right, so we've got Steve on the phone now, um, and we're going to ask him a few questions about his background in hunting and and his um, role at the Game Hunters Association. Yeah, absolutely. So, Steve, uh, how about um, first of all, just give us a bit of a wrap up about you, um, how long you've been hunting for, um, what you do to make a quid, and um, and what you enjoy. Okay, um, well, I'm not, I, I, grew, I grew up on a family farm, and um, so shooting with and uh, with my dad at a fairly early age. Um, initially, it was just holding the spotlight when we used to go around the family farm and shoot rabbits. He'd shoot the rabbits, and I'd spotlight off the back of the ute. Um, and then as he's got by, I got a 22, and then progressed, you know. You got stuck out in the cold, Steve, while, while Dad stayed in the cabin. Yeah, he did, mate. Yeah, that's right. I used to sit in the toolbox, and we had an old army toolbox. Um, ammo case is a toolbox, and I used to sit, have to sit on that, and uh, and then he'd, he'd shoot out the, out the window. So, it was, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Pretty, it was good fun. So yeah. So then you know, over the years, I, I got my own twenty-two, and then um, to run trap lines as a kid. When I was coming back, we moved when I was thirteen onto a property that had um, uh, rabbits and foxes and pigs and goats and everything coming out of our ears. And uh, I used to run trap lines on my league weekends home from boarding school and take off the twenty-two and. On a Friday afternoon, and I'd set my traps, 
have a few, have about fifteen or twenty traps in the ground by, by dark or after dark. Often I work work in the um, in the twilight and get traps in, and then I trap all weekend, and then I call all Monday morning before I went off to school again. And yeah, I'd shoot as I went around, and I'd drop anything that I found as I, you know, foxes and birds and cats and whatever else we found as I went around. So, yeah, yeah, good stuff. So, Is it still legal to trap in Queensland? Yeah, well, I grew up in in New South Wales, and yeah, it was, it was it's legal. It's legal to trap. You just can't use the old um, the old traps that will break the, the break old... the bone or break the skin. So yeah, the, the metal teeth up. traps. Yeah, so it's yeah. all got to be uh, rubber jewels these days. Yeah, and and that's a and that's a pretty good thing too because we used to it wasn't it wasn't uncommon to come along when we were kids and find just a part of a leg. Yeah, in the trap where they'd you know, able to bust through it, or in the case of the foxes, they chewed their own legs off and things like that. So, yeah. so it's definitely it's definitely a good thing because these days the traps they just don't um, they don't let them go and they can't get out of them. So yeah, yeah, I'd done a lot of trapping when I was a kid too in New South Wales, and um, and I found the same. In fact, uh, like I, I remember, I, I deliberately tried to trap one one fox that was um, stealing all the rabbits out of my traps. And uh, I set I set three other traps around the main rabbit trap, and I left the rabbit in there, and he chewed off one of his legs completely, and three quarters of the other one by the time I got there. So yeah, we, um, we, we did a similar thing. I had younger brothers, and um, we used to do similar things when we had boxes cleaning up our uh, trap line. So yeah, we'd set a three or four around a around the rabbit. And um, yeah, we I think memory week back one day and we had two feet and the toes of a third. (laughs) (laughs) We had of the fox, so yeah, so yeah, the 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 rubber jaw traps are definitely once you've got them in those now, they just because you're not breaking the skin and not breaking bones, they can't they they it tends to hold them better and it you know it doesn't definitely not as as, stressful on them and they tend to just hit in them because that it's not really even putting any pressure on them. they just can't pull themselves out yeah 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 oh very good yeah yeah so that was sort of where i started and you know it was was a um my family place is a remote place or remote from town 40 odd k's out of town and in a big isolated valley and so we um you know, we had no close neighbours and we used to sort of look after ourselves. And, um, yeah, so we got around the hills and as we got older, we got sent by rifles and I'd, uh, I'd hunt goats and, and uh, uh, pigs up in the hills. And, yeah, sort of developed onto that. And, you know, and so I've always... And then we did all our pest control on the run on a day-to-day basis. So um, for a number of years, I was on the family farm... Um, with my parents and, you know, it was a, on, uh, every day dad and I'd go out and we'd have, you know, a 22 and a, back in those days we could have semi-auto, so we had an SKS or an SKK um, with us and uh, we'd shoot the pigs and the foxes in particular as we as we went around during the day because they were doing so much devastation to our deep flocks, so we, you took the opportunity when it presented. So. Yeah, yeah opportunistic mm. back in the day when you could leave a rifle in the on the back seat <laughs> yeah well we take used to stack them, up in, stack them up in the center of the in the, in the what was it uh, bench seat 
utes in those days. We'd stack, stack them up in between them and yeah. in between us and away we go. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, and then over the years that sort of progressed to you know a little bit more just um, hunting and then a bit of hunting for, for opportunity for meat, mainly goats in my country because there was no there was no deer in our country, so we used to hunt goats and then. Um, Few years later, we, in, we and my wife and I ended up on our own place, and we had goats and um, foxes and things on there too. So again, that we used to do that on a daily basis. But for enjoyment, I, that's what I used to do. I used to go on and hunt goats up on the hill. So. Yeah, yeah, a lot of yeah. fun goat hunting. Yeah, well, it, it is. It surely is. So yeah. Um, so yeah, so then I was forced out of agriculture, and um, because I got and I got sick from the chemicals that were being used, and I had to we had to come over to the coast to get away from it. Um, and started a, a cleaning and cleaning product business about uh, 12 years ago. And um, yeah, was over here on the Tweed now, and um, uh, life around road revolves around um, the Tweed coast, um, Brisbane, and the Gold Coast. So. Yep. Yeah, and that's Fantastic. sort of where I work. I've got, um, I've got, you know, I've got uh, clients all over the country with my product business, and I've got a lot, lot of local clients here around the Tweed and uh, Gold Coast from the cleaning business. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, as part of that, when because I was wasn't having any social interaction, I joined a, I was looking for. An outlet, a social outlet, to try and um, uh, just meet up with some other some other guys and talk to people other than my clients during the day because I'm doing a lot of work on my own. And um, so I, um, and I'm, I'm, but I'm not a big drink. I'm not a big, never been a big pub drinker guy uh, person. So fishing clubs based around pubs and things didn't really interest me. So I yeah. ended up with a. I found there was a hunting club. That operated at, out of Nareem on the Gold Coast, which is sort of only half an hour up the road for me. So I went up and joined that, and yeah, um, yeah got fairly quickly got um, involved in that in that club in in the committee role. I think it was on the committee within three or four months of actually joining, and then I in, I in twelve months on we end up in the vice chair, and then I've been in the, the chairman's role. For the last uh, four years, right. So, um, so it's um, and yeah, and we've uh, and that's yeah, the the, the Game Hunters Association. Yeah, so that's the Game Hunters of Australia um, Association of Australia. So we call ourselves GHWA. Yeah. So exactly where um, are you guys located? At Nareen on the Gold Coast. That's okay. sort of where our base. We we operate out of um, a. Um, a community centre, yeah, at the moment, and um, yeah, occasionally we have meetings in Brisbane um, um, for, our, for our members up there, and then, but primarily we operate out of the Gold Coast. Okay, excellent. So it's it's probably a good a good segue to go go into um, you know all about the the GHAA now. Um, do you want to give us a bit of a, a bit of an understanding about the, what what the Game Hunters um, Game Hunters Association actually does? Just quickly, Steve, has it always been the Game Hunters Association, or is it kind of because that's that's oh, it's Australia wide, like it's not focused locally, is it? 
Um, well, it, 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 it has always been um, GAA, and um, it was just we're in our 21st year um, as a club. Yeah. Um, originally, the club started uh, just around a, a firearms shop on the Gold Coast where guys used to come in all the time and talk to one of the guys in there, and, and they had nowhere to go. And they and they had no they had no connections with other hunters. And they were always looking to get out. So uh, our founding me- member uh, Paul Cooper, who owns Niagara Farms, um, to, to this day, brought all these guys together and they they started this club. And the initial idea was just to be a social uh, club for hunters, so that they could get together and, and you know, hopefully get out and go go hunting together. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, and then they had initially to sort of duplicate, the, duplicate it with branches all over the country. But, and they did run on, on the sunny coast for a while, but it, it folded and they retreated back to the Gold Coast. Um, but, uh, it's gone from strength over the years, and, and when I came in, I think it was 2013, um, the club was sitting about 180 to 200 members. Okay, yeah. And, uh, and it was it was holding that sort of membership base fairly regularly. There was a there was a reasonably turnover of members coming in and out of the club, so they were, but they were sort of knocking. They were just holding their numbers. Yeah. yeah. So it's um, grown quite a, bo- quite a bit in the last few years because it's up to almost 500 now, isn't it? Yeah, we've, uh, we've, doubled, we've doubled the numbers. In yeah. The last, um, uh, in the last four years or so, um, we have really doubled. One of the big things that we found really bought members to us is when we... Uh, started to push our education. Yeah. Um, we had a, the, when I came to the club, it was called the Basic Hunters Education Course. Um, that was run by a couple of members, and it was pretty basic. It covered a lot of, um, yeah, fairly uh, rudimentary um, hunting and firearm skills. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the basis. The focus was really on uh, safety and firearm and hunting skill. Yeah. And um, at that stage, we had properties um, we had access to. And over the years, they've had various properties at various places, particularly in around Queensland and some of them in, in, into New South Wales, but primarily in Queensland. Found over the years, was initially they got it, quite a few guys going out and they were longer trips they needed you know they need the guys needed to plan four or five days it was you know it was a four or five day trip to go and get that go and and have a worthwhile hunt and then come home so they, that they struggled to hold those properties because of, because of usage and and you know and guys that lives just get in the way so they, they start off really keen and then they drop off yeah. yeah. So they were back to three properties at, at that stage, and um, um, 
Yeah, so and it was focused on sort of allowing new, getting new members, um, out hunting without having to use some of the older members to to be able to get out on these properties. It was to try and make them familiar and, and give them the basics understanding of, of some of the of these club properties. So yeah, okay. Um, and that was the basis of it, and then um, then over a sort of once I joined over about a 12-month period, I ended up actually running that course and redesigning it. Um, my secretary at the time and I sat there. I expected way for a lot of guys in, in that we, we moved it to focus on farms and farming. Uh, how, how to get how to um, hunt successfully on private land with it and understand how farms operate. Yeah. So that we weren't becoming a burden to farmers. So, yeah, and with a lot more safety and stuff here. So, yeah, but the, the club has, that really has been the catalyst for, uh, for growth because what we found was that there was a a demand for a lot of guys were coming into hunting um, as a recreation but had no links through family or through friendships. Yeah. And I guess uh, wanting to be connected with your food, um, understand a little bit more about where your food was coming from and um, that's been to be part, partly what's behind, behind it. So these guys were coming in totally naive so we and had no so this education side of it really appealed to them. So that's sort of what's helped us a lot with our with our membership growth. Yeah, it's one of it's one of the things that we've um We've actually found, even with our, with our business, that um, although Hunt Shack primarily um, deals with, um, you know, organising hunts for people, um, one of the things that we, we've uh, certainly almost by accident fell into was this idea of, of, um, of not only teaching people to hunt, but teaching people the process of hunting. Um, and uh, and the whole subsistence, you know, the question around subsistence living and, and that kind of thing, because obviously we for for us, you know, we eat a lot of, of what we hunt, um, so we don't only hunt for trophy. But um, and I don't shy away from that though. We do actually, if if I see a, a good deer or anything else out there, I'd just as happily take that as anything else. But um, but at the same time, um, you know, the, the vast majority of what we do um, in the year is, um, is either crop protection or for meat, for purposes of meat. We, we, we take those animals for ourselves and, and we enjoy that. We enjoy the process of that. We enjoy the fact that, um, you know, you, you basically, you've taken it from the bush and, and, um, and you've produced it into a meal as well. Um, which is really good, but we it, it certainly the interesting thing for me was, um, you know that uh, we found the same thing as you in the last couple of years. There's been a real interest from people around 
that whole kind of um, subsistence lifestyle, mm. you know, hunting and gathering and, and, and kind of getting your own your own stuff. Was know? that, that yeah, involvement that people just, they want to be yeah, a lot more you. involved in it all, you know? They, um, yeah, they do. They want, they want to understand their food chain and this is just part of it. And with, um, <laughs> yeah, they just want to have a, 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 a better understanding of, of what, what it's about and that in itself is a scary thing for them too because a lot of them haven't been off before yeah don't don't know what a let alone a firearm um or a bow if um let alone know what to look for in, yeah. in a healthy animal yeah um, you know and and that's been a big part of our education has been one of the things that we really uh have developed is um i have i have a um don't get too complicated with with we we do a a practical field uh dressing um exercise as part of our training um weekend where where we we take these everyone out out bush for days and we get an animal on the ground and i um I break it up by, by using the gutless method, but I've got my own little uh, me, uh, different uh, methods that I use to help help them out and get them to understand, uh, you know, about cleanliness and cooling things down and mm. and in being able to make the decision. You know, we, we talk about making decisions before they pull the trigger and we focus a lot on, identifying body shape and particularly with goats and even with with deer um not we um, certainly don't worry about it with pigs because it's you know it's whatever gets the deck is a good one with with pigs but with deer in particular we try and get them to be very selective we try to get them to understand you know um what what they're doing it for and and like you rod on i'll take i'll take a good set of horns actually on here at my desk looking at a big uh, a boar head that um, I'm in the process of doing a, a, a mount for that my, uh, I've done a Euro clean up for him but um, yeah. that I got, he charged me out of a cave here back in March and I, so I'm, I will take a trophy just as much as I will take meat but um, and, but for me it's primarily about that meat or a as you say, you know, it's that pest control angle. Yeah. And that's still a big part of what I do because yeah. I'm still heavily involved with my family farm. So, yeah. and, that, and that's part of what we teach our guys too is that if we go hunting on private land, those private land holders need you to assist with, with, with pest control. It, it's great to take meat. Yeah. Um, it's great to take trophy. But understand that as if you want, if, you want continued access to private land in particular, you need to do the pest control side of it as well. Yeah. Oh, and you know, it's not, it's, it's a good point that you make there because it's not, and it's not even about um, just private land either, but public land as well. We've got to understand that as hunters, we've got a responsibility. Um, I mean, they found this on the, on the South Island in New Zealand with the tar that, one of the biggest problems the yeah, yeah one of the biggest problems that they've had is that people are so selective yeah. they're going down there to look for the biggest bull tar that they can find which no issue with that at all but they're not taking any of the nannies and and so by understanding 
that they have that responsibility as well as hunters, that we've got a responsibility when it comes to conservation, when it comes to, to um, population management and things like that, and taking an active role, it means that the government then doesn't have, a, they don't have as big a, a problem where they then go, okay, well, we need to bring in helicopter culling or we need to bring in 1080 yeah, poisoning yeah. Or, or whatever the issue is, you know, whether it's goats, whether it's tar, whether it's deer, whether it's rabbits, you know, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is. And, yeah. And this gets back to basic management of, of any animal, um, uh, be, uh, you know, be it introduced, um, introduced g- uh, game pest animals or, or, or native animals, if yep. we continue to take out only the males, we unbalance the whole, whole system yep. so much that we end up with a population, major population problem. Um, and the analogy that I use in, in my training is if you take adults out of a teenager's party, guess what you're going to get? And by taking out those large males yeah. that that suppress all the other juvenile males, them in, in their place, you are taking the adults out of the party. Yeah. 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 And 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 you end up with uncontrolled breeding. Yeah. And you end up with population explosions that you can't that get out of hand. And as as hunters we've been very, very guilty of just taking, selecting those bigger males yeah. out of herds and not thinking, well, maybe I should be taking three or four females mm. as well yeah. because they're, they're what's breeding the numbers that are getting out of check. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. And I think some of it too is just, just teaching hunters. We certainly focus on this quite a lot. Um, yeah. But teaching them that... that it, it can be really well-rounded, like just, well, you know, one of the biggest things that we find repeating ourselves over and over and over again is just because you're a trophy hunter doesn't mean that you only take a trophy. And it's the same for pest control, you know, we often go out and we do pest control, but it doesn't mean that we're just shooting them and leaving them there either. We'll often take meat back either for yeah. us to eat or for our dogs to eat or for the farmer's dogs to eat. And so we're using yep. that as well. And it's the same when we go trophy hunting. For the most part, we try as much as we can to take meat with us. And so it's not... It's not even it's, it's not, not even just the that there's one issue, you know, where we need to go, oh, well, we're taking too many males and we're not doing this. It's just teaching hunters, I think, and educating them, especially yes. people that are com- that are new coming into hunting because you hear so much yeah. in the media about hunting yeah. is this, hunting is that, hunting is this, you know. And it's so one it's so short-sighted and doesn't provide them any context to what how well-rounded hunting can be and how it can actually you could you could go on one hunt and you could be doing pest control, trophy hunting, and meat hunting all in one one hunt, you know? One thing. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And, well, I guess what, uh, yeah, we use the, uh, the, for want of a better word, the sustainable use. And sustainable is probably a, a really a good um, terminology because that, refers keep, to keep the things as they are but but utilize what you can utilize yeah yeah um you know if there's a good skin in there take some skin yeah, go, yeah. Go home and get on youtube do some research and, and have a play around with with some home tanning if you wreck a couple does it matter mm. you know, it doesn't so and and this is what we when we're doing our field dressing um the, the way that i do the the initial cut I say to them, you know, I've taken the legs off 
this thing, but if I get to this point, I still, I can still decide. Oh, I would really like this skin now. Yeah. And and it's and you take another couple of cuts, you can take the skin off it, and and then you you're utilizing another piece of this animal. Mm. So yeah, so that you know, and I say to them, yeah, unfortunately, part of pest control you are going to drop and leave a percentage. Yeah, yeah. But if you are careful and select the right ones out of that, that the younger end, as you're going around, take the good young ones, take them home, and utilise what you can. As you say, even if it is for dog food or for taking back to the farmer for dog food or you're actually going to take them home for your own consumption, you know, utilise what you can. Um, you know, we, um, I, um, utilize, we utilise a lot of, well, my freezers, I have three freezers. I've got about 500 cubic centimetres of space and it, it's primarily full of game meat. And we, where all the meals I during the day, uh, something that we've done in the slow cooker and put in the freezer and I heat them up of, of a morning before I go to, to work. Today it was a, a rabbit with con carne. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so we're doing that all the time, do, doing that all the time. And, you know, I do that because, number one, I don't have to buy crappy road food. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, when I'm on the road all day. And, and number two, I feel better for it. And, yeah, and I'm utilising what I have, and I understand where that animal's come from. I know it was clean. I know it was healthy because I killed it, and I and inspecting on it. So, mm. Yeah. So, but we try, and, and, it, and look, I, I've done hundreds, probably thousands of animals over the, and I try and explain to, to the people I'm training um, that, just t- if, if you make a couple of wrong cuts, doesn't matter. If if you don't actually get that back strap out nice and neat, next time, do it a little bit different. Yeah. yeah. If that leg doesn't pop off quite good, that he've showed you, it doesn't matter. At least you, um, at least there you go. And, and, and the way that we train now is, we keep them all entirely away from the from the gut, um, so they're never dealing with any body fluids or gut contents. So we keep it clean and sanitary for them. And for those people just coming in, that's a pretty significant thing because that's the scary thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. A lot of people just don't. Um, yeah, they don't. They, it's certainly the the squeamish part of the operation. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So if if, if with Oh, we we do it. They they never ever come in contact. If they're extracting fillets from underneath the spinal column, yeah. they never ever come in contact with any of the the other um, contents. And then while we're doing that, um, um, I, I take a rib, the rib, cut the rib cage rib plate off. Yeah. And we show them where the vitals lay in a in a in a live animal. It's not just a picture on a screen. It's here, here's the live animal, and here's its heart, here's its lungs. This is the area you, you you're putting your 
your round or your arrow through. Yeah. And um, and what and how much more room for error you have than trying to take things like headshots. Yeah. Or, or neck shots that are good for experienced people. Yeah. Who fully understand anatomy, but for beginners, if we we put it all into context for them, then it, again that removes this this mystique and, 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 and not really understanding it. And by the time, so yeah, so our guys sort of by the time they go home, they've, they've, they've really got a, a, a concrete uh, understanding of where they're at and we've removed a lot of that scariness of it. Yeah. 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 Oh, some of that stuff, you just got to get your hands dirty. Like, you know, you just got to get into it. We, we started out, I, I didn't start hunting until I was 17. And the first time that dad ever put, dad put the blood on me from the rabbit. He like wiped it on me mucking around and I cried for like half an hour at 17 years old. Like I was so distraught. So I went from that to now I'm the first one to jump in to put my hand up to cut out the animals and break them all down and stuff like that. Cause I actually really, it's one of my favorite parts of the hunt. I really enjoy it. I um, yeah. I always wanted to be a vet when I was a kid and I think maybe now I've found my true calling, which is just kind of come up afterwards. It's just kind of disturbing. But, um, but yeah, the only way to learn how to do it is to get your hands dirty and get into it and actually actually try it out yourself, you know. And it doesn't matter. You, you might stuff it up, you know. We've, we've had times where we've accidentally burst the guts and stuff and it's been disgusting and it's been a huge mistake. But you get over it and you get past it. what you do. Yeah, well, I've got three girls too. And, um, and my, um, my girls have been with me when I've been killing animals on the farm since they could were toddlers because they, they used to come with me and we, we never shuttled them from any of it. So their favourite thing was to grab the intestines and pull them out across the paddock to see how far they could get them. All over the front of their shirts and then in front of their pants and in, in their boots. Yeah. yeah. All of the time. But yeah, so but a lot of kids don't get that exposure. Oh, it's and, a different um, world yeah. now, isn't it? Yeah. It is. yeah. You have kids that are 12 and 13 and they're only just figuring out that beef is cow from a cow. We'd love for you to join us and help spread a positive message about hunting. Become an I Am Hunter member and help keep hunting alive for future generations. In return, get a free t-shirt, exclusive member discounts and win great prizes, including an annual hunting trip. Last year, one member scored himself a buffalo hunt in the Northern Territory. This year, we're sending someone to South Africa. To join, go to IamHunter.net. Yeah, well, we're getting, I mean, in the US they call this uh, adult onset hunters, you know, that they've come to hunting <laughs> um, in their adult years and their first, often their first exposure in our club's case is, is this weekend out in the, in the bush that we, we run on one of our properties and, and, um, and yeah, that can be fairly confronting yeah. um, thing. And we, I think in the last five years or six years. Sorry, Steve, we just, we've lost you there. Sorry, what were you saying in the last five or six years? Five or six years, we've we run three or four courses that, haven't had women or kids on 
and, and we see that, you know, and that's one of the things that really excites me every time I head out is that we've got these kids and we've got little kids coming through and, and you know, sometimes they're coming on their own, sometimes they're coming through with partners. We had a lady on, the, on this last one that came as a, a company uh, spouse and by, by them seeing why we do things, when when the animals turn up at home, we understand the whole process, and and it's not this ooey icky thing that they've to um, try and deal with. They actually have a little bit of an understanding of the process of so did I hear that right, that in the last three or four years, there's very few uh, of these training courses you've run that haven't had kids? And women. Kids yeah. Or, or women. Yeah, that's yeah. excellent. Yeah. That's yeah. really good. Yeah, it is, yeah. Is it, like like you said earlier, to, uh, earlier tonight, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that I guess concerned me for a long, long time, and, and I've, had, uh, I've had a number of conversations with a number of hunters around Australia and... and um, uh, you know, on social media and also on the phone as well, and and their concerns are similar, and that is that that um, you know people uh, we're, we're continually moving with with the growth of suburbia. What that's doing is creating a, a shelter against the rural lifestyle, mm. and um, and so people are not aware of it at all. That they, they they don't they don't actually in, encounter it or. You know, um, or, or take part in that rural lifestyle at all in any way, shape, or form. In fact, many of them you take them out, and that and they think you know a, a camping exercise is you know you go to Anaconda and you buy yourself you know fifteen hundred dollars or two grand's worth of gear, and you're all set and away you go. You know, and you drive to where you're dropping off, and you know you you set up your tent and you leave the next morning. You know, after you've eaten your you know um, your, your cooked meal and all this kind of stuff, and um, you know, they everything has to kind of be pre-produced for them because they don't understand that you could do it any other way, and no, and yeah, the same same with animals that you know there's a complete detachment between the reality of of what animals are, mm. um, how they exist, the fact that hey they're they're actually not human, um, and their human traits are far and few between. Um, yep. And they actually do need to be controlled as well. I um, like I've fallen into that problem myself. You know, I've got I've got a five year old, and I, I like my fair share of Disney movies even before I had my own child, and I'm um, watching them as a kid. And so, although I, I never grew up removed from any of that stuff, and and mum and dad never tried to shelter us, there was still things where I've been out hunting now as an adult. You know, since starting and heading out, there are still things sometimes where I go whoa, that actually really shocked me that that happened. Like, just as an example, you know, when we were in New Zealand just this year, um, out hunting, we are looking for a seeker, and we found this small herd of reds. And this hind, there was a young yearling, and it had walked too close to this hind, and so this hind just got up on her back legs and absolutely wailed on this yearling with her two front hooves. Just wailed on it for no reason whatsoever. And I was just sitting there, and I'm like... Far out. Can you imagine walking down the street? Like, you know, people, they they show animals in these Disney movies and, and cartoons and things like that as being so caring and loving and kind. I mean, you've got Madagascar where the lion's friends with the zebra and he can't possibly eat him and gets so upset and has this huge meltdown because he wants to eat his friend who's a zebra. You know, so they portray them in such a, such a 
empathetic uh, way. Yeah, well, so, uh, it's just so it's unrealistic. And so yeah. when you actually get out yeah. in the wild, sometimes it's even shocked me where I've gone, oh, that is right, they are animals, you know. They don't have the same feelings as us. They don't care for the elderly and the sick. They don't care for the young, you know, like we would. They don't have empathy like we do. Yes, animals can, can look after each other to some extent, but they're not humans. And I think people just don't get that these days because they are so far removed from reality. And so the only thing that they do see is this pretty picture that's put on the TV that's completely fake. I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Bambi. Like if you look at Bambi, it was Bambi and his mum and his dad. And you go out in the bush and you see a red deer with, you know, eight hinds around him. And it's like (laughs) Bambi's dad had eight wives, not just one. And if he had a son, he kicked him out by the time he was like, you know, (laughs) many months old. (laughs) No, that's right. No, it, 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 um, uh, yeah. Getting back to what you were saying, Rod, is like in the 50s and 60s, they say that over over 50, something like 50 or 60% of their population in Australia had cousins or family in the country. Yeah, yeah. And they, and they used to go for their family holidays to the country. So yeah. they were exposed to that. But over the last probably since the 70s with more urbanisation and with uh, rural downturns. Um, people have mi- migrated or been, become refugees. To, yeah. Also, the, the mechanisation of farming as well. I mean, I think that's made a difference also. As well, that's right. I can remember one of our local farmers saying that in the 1950s at harvest time, they had up to 20 men yep. working on on the in, on their farm. You know, they had fences and they had uh, guys that would drive the headers and then they had uh, bag stitches and then they had wheat lumpers and then they had rabbit trappers and they they had all these men on on the farms. Well, now that that same farm is run by one 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 guy and his wife. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, so that's that. And, uh, you know, in our own case, our family farm has grown to oh, uh, the original holdings now, 12,500. My, my brother's controlling something like 22,000 to 25,000 acres of, of um, owned and leased country, and he runs that with three staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so um, it, it's a... Uh, yeah, so it hasn't helped either, um, yeah. and the economics of it. So yeah, now now people don't have that attachment. There's only very few people that have that ta- attachment. But it's interesting to watch the circle coming back. When I watch these people coming through our training camps that don't have that association, they've come in um, to the club seeking this this pathway to, to expose them to hunting. And we get them out into the bush and start exposing them, exposing them to this. becomes a very grounding experience for them. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and I, you know, we, we often, we have big debates at times. We've had people come through. Um, one of our, my current boss there, his wife, he put his wife and his two two of his older kids through the course, and his wife, unbeknownst to us, was a vegetarian. 
Oh, right. And, wow. Um, that through the course, same thing, that through the course, and we've got a, a, a an absolutely awesome um, guy that runs our camp um, for us and, and turns out turns out great gay meat meals for the attendees during the course. And because of the way we had been talking about the animals and, and the way she had observed us treating them, with respect and with ethics over the course of the week, she put her hand up on the last night. See, she said, you know, I haven't eaten meat. I think it was something like for 10 or 12 years. And tonight... I'm going to sit and eat these meals that you guys have prepared for us because of the way you guys have talked about and I've seen you treat these animals over the weekend hmm. with, with total respect and with ethics and humanely. And we all just sat with our mouths open because we, we didn't know. We had no idea. We just did it the way we normally do it. Do as we you know, and we often said afterwards, how do we how do we duplicate that lady? Well, I'd like to send you a couple of hundred from Tasmania. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, from by any, out of any urban city. Yes, yeah. that's well, right. That's, that's actually kind of some of these these larger rural regional centres that are surrounded by farmland and their economies operate off, off still operate off agriculture yeah we you still have these people in, in there that are so detached from it so how do we get that back it's, and I, you know I don't, we can blame disney all we like um for, for the for the disneyfication um you know steve Rinella talks a lot about it on his po- podcast yeah. and yeah. a lot of the other guys about you know um charismatic megafauna and you know the larger animals and how they've been turned into given um given humanities and things but yeah we probably haven't done ourselves a lot of favors either so somehow we've got to get that message out there that mm. you know there there is a way and and we'll talk about pest control this particular because one of the things i talk about with our guys is about pest control and having to actually leave animals on the ground at times. Yeah. And she was cool with all of that because of the way we talked to, you know, we made sure we talked to them about being ethical. You know, mm, we yeah. shoot on properties in New South Wales with, with tags for, for macropods. Talk about, you know, dispatching, dispatching joeys correctly, making sure that, the, that, the, you know, that, um, you, you, you know, it's a humane kill mm. and you do what you can do at all. The, you know, you d- to do the best job you can do to make sure that that animal is killed quickly and cleanly. So yeah. um, we talked about all that. Yeah, and I think that the, the biggest problem that we've had as hunters is that we've just been too quiet. I mean, that's, that's the problem. And we talk about this so much and, and, and after, I think it's come up in almost every podcast we've done that as hunters we're generally more solitary people where we like spending time outdoors. We, we don't like, you know, sitting in the middle of a city protesting our, you know, whatever it is that we care for. And so 
we don't get heard, and that's been our biggest problem. There's not many because... hunters that even like a crowd, you know. Most yeah. most of them would prefer to be with two or three of their mates, yeah. you know, kind of out doing something and and uh, you know just kind of you know doing their thing. You so know? It, it doesn't surprise me at all that society doesn't have any idea. Like I don't I don't think that the majority of society. Jim Shockey's talked about this that you've got probably ten percent of the population that are staunchly against hunting, ten percent of the yep. population that are for hunting. And then eighty percent of the population that don't really care either way. But if but all they, they hear, if all they hear is the negative about it, I mean, you look for example with the the Peter ads about sheep when they're shorn and what they look like, and they give yeah. they show you this lamb that's all bloodied and cut up, and it's like if any any sheep look like that after being shorn, whoever did the shearing would be sacked. You know, yeah, no farmer right. treats their sheep like that because their sheep have to grow wool again next year. And the sheep's yeah. not going to keep growing wool if its if its body's completely covered in scars. And so, no, right. you know, that people, when that's all they hear, and if they've had no exposure, for anyone who's been on a farm or knows anything at all about farming, it's pretty simple to see that that's not true. And that's not what no, that's the, the general right. circumstance is. But for anyone who's never had any contact with a farm, who's never been out in a, in a rural setting, who's never been out of the city, that might seem reasonable. That might seem like something that's possible. And it's the same with hunting, that if we don't get out there and start sharing the positives with it, you know, start actually explaining to people. And it, and it doesn't mean lying. It doesn't mean hiding, you know, when there are situations where you have to leave animals behind or there are situations where you're going to shoot, you know, a kangaroo for, for crop protection and it might have a joey in its pouch. But if you actually explain to people why you're doing this and the motivation behind it and the benefit behind it and why it's necessary, the vast majority of people aren't going to have a huge problem with it. We just have to actually tell them. Yeah, our biggest problem has been is that hunters traditionally are very conservative. Mm. Yeah. Uh, they and hunting by its nature is uh, is generally a, a, a solo. Yeah, private. Um, yeah, um, thing that you do on your own. So, you know, hunters uh, on their own. They do what. They do. They come back. They don't. Don't talk about it. Mm. Um, and and you know, as society has has progressed or or evolved or whatever it is, um, and particularly in this modern digital media age, it's it's gone from being something that people didn't see to something that they see all the time, and because of this detachment from reality of, of where animals are, and as you were saying, Jess, you know, with the uh, with the uh, yeah the deer that 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 hind striking that yearling, she was actually probably disciplining mm. that that yearling for something that it had done that thing very subtle, and we don't pick up on. But she was saying, "Hey, Buster, get back in your place." Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, the hierarchy. Or yeah. I mean, she was just having a bad day, and she was really pissed off at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the bit of grass that she was covered. Yeah. In. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe it was a female uh, yearling, and it got a little bit too close to the stag, and she thought, "Stuff you, that's my man." <laughs> but, um, but what we've got to do is find. It's it's no point. 
it's no point as talking about, oh, the Andy's this, the Andy's that. Yeah. Because we're never going to get us anywhere because all we're going to do is butt heads. Yeah. yeah. What we have to do is find a common ground. Mm. Because, believe it or not, the Andy's and, and, and us have a similar compassion for animals. Mm. Yeah, it's just one of us has logic on our side. And facts. Well, one of the stars, and, and, and <laughs> uh, well, but they probably argue that as well. Yeah, no, so I know, I know. What, <laughs> what we've got to do is, is, is stop butting heads with them yeah. and, and find a pathway through. And the, 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 the reality is that 10% that's the extremist, we never ever, that's the extreme. Um, ones that believe Bambi is real and, mm. and um, you know, are going to glue themselves to um, uh, roadways like they did in Brisbane oh, last week. Mm. And um, d- we're never going to get through to those and we shouldn't ever try. Yeah. We, and we, we, we should just agree to disagree, don't get into a fight with them, move on because there are, they're like us, they're only a smaller percentage of the of the community. What we need to capture is that other eighty percent or ninety mm. percent of the community that is either on the fence or ambival- totally ambivalent, just got don't really care, mm. um, or can see. See it, but they just don't. They don't understand it, and mm. they don't get it. And and like this, um, the lady that I was talking about earlier. If we show that we have a respect for the animal, and we understand why we're doing it, and we and they can see the end result, that has is more powerful than locking horns to them. We're putting some stupid photo in some media social media thing that's going to stir everyone up just just for forgiveness yeah Yeah. we've got to be a little you know and there's no excuse for that anymore because there are there are there um that um you can use now if you want to share your stuff you can use those those apps um you know like wild society and um and like go wild yeah, um, oh, and even just groups and stuff, private groups on social media. Yeah, yeah, share it, share it in, in, within the community with other like-minded people and without without antagonising the rest of the community. Mm, yeah. Um, so we, um, I try and I, I make a conscious effort of not putting any of my hunting-related stuff onto my own private on my own public profile. So it all goes in, I, I use Wild Society and I use uh, Go Wild. Yeah. And, and where I'll, I'll put my stuff and, I'll, and you, you, you talk, you, you're talking to, if you want to share it and you feel like you, you need to share it with other people, well, we do that or I'll share it internally within our club. You know, I don't, we don't need to, I don't need to put it out there for everybody to see and it'd end up in an inappropriate spot that you didn't, Think about where it was going to land, and and then the next thing you know, you're you're getting mailed 
Yeah, yeah, of course. And people people have to they have to accept that responsibility. I mean, I think there's uh, there's a lot of different opinions even within the hunting community on whether or not you should post your hunting pictures. We do um, on social media. I think that for me personally, um, at a bare minimum, I think people need to make sure that if they're gonna post it, then they do it with respect. And we've always um, we've always tried to do that. Well, you know, wipe up the if there's blood. Wipe it up, you know, if, if the tongue's hanging out, put it back in the mouth or, you know, get rid of it. And so portraying the animal with the respect that it deserves as well, because it was a living creature um, and you have taken its life legitimately or not. And so giving it a little bit of respect in that, because I, I personally don't have any issue with people posting their um, their hunting pictures. To me, it's just as much a part of the hunt as, as any other part of it. Um, is that being able to remember it, being able to share the experience with other people and tell them the story behind it. And some of that comes down to the pictures. But, um, we don't, but, we don't but often, being respectful about it, we, I think. We don't often, we don't often post... Um, <coughs> uh, we, we do every now and then, but generally only with, with people who absolutely agree. And like clients and stuff like that, we, we, don't, we don't post a lot of client pictures and stuff. Uh, purely because we're happy to take the heat ourselves. Mm. Um, People are going to make that you know, judgment and, for themselves, and, I think. And we we cop that as part of what we do. Um, but we we don't want that flow on, you know, to other people yeah. for the most part, you know, because of the following that we have, you know, on both our personal profiles and and of course our business one as well. So. Yeah. Well, and the other, the other side to this is that if we if we remove all hunting images from from social media, we 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 push ourselves underground. Yeah, yeah. which is yeah. counterproductive to what we've just been talking about. Yeah, exactly. So somewhere in here is a happy medium. Yeah, and, and, and it is about. You're right. It, it's about that being respectful and showing that it's you know it's it's not a look at me thing. It's, yeah. It, it, it's a more. I mean, fishermen do it without any without any problems. So why yeah. can't we as as hunters do the same thing? Yeah. But I guess if you've got a tongue hanging out mm. and uh, a big and blood running down from mm. the wound, and um, and um, it just it's just you haven't taken the time to think maybe I should have. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we've seen some like that that are just you know that, that are really quite terrible. I mean, and even as a hunter, yeah. I, I I've seen um pictures of animals where I'm like, you know, that is that's just not necessary at all. I understand it. I get it. Sometimes it looks like that. You know, when you've taken a meat animal or something like that, and I get it. But there's no reason that that needs to be up on social media. There's no there's no reason for it. You know? But in in saying that, I do think that it is something that we still need to. Not, not posting that stuff, but still posting our photos and stuff like that. And this comes down to, I mean, mum started hunting last year and she yep. started posting on her page about it on her personal Facebook page. And we've actually had one of the people she used to work with who's who was a vegetarian. And his he was, missus was a vegan, wasn't Yeah, he? his missus was a vegan or something like that. And he hadn't eaten meat since he was like 13. Mm. And in his, in his mid yeah. Mid thirties, thirties, yeah. yeah. And so he he started seeing what she was posting, and he was like, "Well, actually, this this doesn't sound too bad." And he was kind of on his own journey with it, yeah, well, kind of on his own thing. And he he has now asked us if he can try some of our game meat, and 
you know, wants to learn hunting. We, we, gave and, him, we gave him about 20 kilos of game meat. Yeah, and I think that there's there's a growth in the hunting community that's actually coming from this whole organic, you know, get your own food kind of thing. Yeah, I think, and that's, I guess that's what I've been saying, is that's where our, our, our goats come from. Mm. Yeah. Um, and and as, a, as, a, as a community, as a uh, the hunting community, we, we, we just have to work our way forward. We, we, have, to be, we have to be, we have to put ourselves out there. Mm. And, um, you know, because if we don't, um, we're not going to pick up those new people. We're not going to expose them to it, and and we need that constant um, exposure. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, I think I think some of it is about, um, and this is one of the things that we've, I guess, tried to to um, somehow focus on is about telling the story without the ego. Um, now. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, and I don't buy into the whole, like, I, I, I actually like Stephen Ellis stuff, but um, it gets me, uh, I don't know, it raise, raises kind of the hairs on the back of my neck when he starts talking about the fact that he doesn't, he, he doesn't show any trophy stuff because of, and he, he talks about this in a few of his things. Because oh, of his sponsorship, yeah, there's a couple of them that have specifically and, um, taken that position. And, I don't think and he's yet he that. trophy hunts, uh, and he and he's got trophies. Mm. Um, and yeah. and I think that it's a crying shame that he can't. And I know that uh, recently he's tried to kind of turn that around on some of his shows um, a little bit. Um, and uh, and and uh, but. The, the essence of it is that you know there, there are there are there are beautiful animals out there mm. you, you you can take their meat even so um, as well yeah. as that trophy and um, uh, I mean for me for me personally the, those the picture of that is part of that trophy you know mm. that I'm not talking about the ego associated with it you know when you you know you see some guys that post up these disgusting photos because something's been blown apart or something like that. Um, and they're trying to raise, and this is exactly what you were saying. They're tr- almost like they're trying to ra- raise a reaction, yeah. Just to you know, as some kind of clickbait. Mm. Um, but I, I think we, it, the important thing is to continue to tell the story about why hunting is necessary, what the yeah. rewards are around hunting, and some of that is the is the bone, yeah. you know, that you you take home or the. Well, or, or the, just as the... you know, I've got a, I've got a upstairs. Last year, Jess and I went up to the Northern Territory at, at our, our our hunting location up there, and and I shot a, an enormous scrub bull, mm. and um and we we took I don't know three and a half hours or something to skin skin him out entire entirely. It was so the the skin was so big that it took three of us to lift it into the back of the ute or yeah. hold it up. <laughs> and and I've got that upstairs in the lounge room now. We got it tanned. Um, and uh, and you know that it, it it's an amazing. It, it's yes, we call it a trophy, but but it's a story in itself. You know that for me is a story of me hunting with my daughter and and um, and being out in the middle of nowhere. And and these are a pest animal. And to hide that stuff by saying that we shouldn't post the pictures of it to me is just 
It's a real shame because it, it makes out that it's a shameful thing to do. It makes out that there's something wrong with it and yeah. that there's something not right about it. And it's not that at all. It's just making sure that you're conveying to people why you do it, what yeah. you get out the of it. You know, that it's important. not about you sitting there and going, oh, look, you know, it's got such and such amount of points and it's this and it's that and, you know, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I do this. But it's, yeah. but it's about the experience behind it and it's remembering that. I mean, we've had people turn up, this, this guy that we were talking about that was a vegetarian. He spent the absolute majority of his time down here in the office with us Dad, with dad telling him all the, him and his wife, all the stories behind the heads that we've got on the wall. And that, yeah. that 100%, they're a trophy on the wall. Yes, some of them we used yeah, all of the meat. Some of them we could only use some of the meat. Some of them we actually couldn't use any of the meat at all because of where it was hunted or, or the circumstances. You know, but we're sitting there, standing there telling this guy this story about it, sharing it with him years later. And that wouldn't have been possible without having the animal there on the wall to remember. Yeah, having that as a as a reference point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think, you know, this is, this is it. We, um, one of the things we've done in Chastale is early on it was about Douglas. Yeah. We do not use any measurement yardsticks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we'll run a tape over a uh, a billy and get it spread, or we might, you know. Um, but um, is it's more about recognizing, you know, it's more, more an internal thing. But, you know, I've got a thirty-six inch, and we're down to thirty-five and three quarters. So, um, but. And and that's just a, an internal thing between guys. You know? Yeah. It's, it, it's not something that we we did didn't go out there playing on that day. Yeah. And bring in um, a massive, you know, the best Douglas point score because he was symmetrical on both sides and he was so long and so wide. You know, we just got right away from that. We just don't talk about it. Yeah. 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 Well, it's like uh, that. Uh, the saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And we've always, always said that. I mean, we've, we've honestly, we've got animals mounted. We've got three chittle deer behind me right now that we had all three of them mounted and they were all culls. They were considered culls according to a trophy yeah. system, you know, because they're missing, yeah. they're missing an area in a times and things like that. Or mine didn't have any at all, but he had these huge, big, thick, wide beams and, so to, to a trophy system, they're considered a cull animal, but to us, you know, it was still a really cool experience and they were really cool animals and really cool heads. And, you know, the same thing with, with my two, the two um, fellows that I've shot, both of them to anyone would, wouldn't be considered a huge trophy or anything to brag about, but they both had huge amounts of character in their antlers and I really liked them. So I've got both yeah. of them mounted, you know, it's. Well, well we've got a, we've got a, uh, um, Zimbabwean in the team, and, and you know, and he talks about now. Sorry, can you just say that again? Sorry, Steve, I didn't catch that. He's an ex Zimbabwean professional hunter. Yep. So yeah. it, it was, uh, he, he used to take, you know, big paying clients hunting elephant and buffalo and in Zimbabwe, and 
And he, he now says, you know, he'll, he would rather shoot something that is considered malformed yeah. or un- unusual over something that's symmetrical. Yeah. So, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder. And, yeah. And, you know, and it's that story that's behind it. It's like this ball head I've got sitting on my desk here now. And, you know, uh, he, he will forevermore be known as the cave ball because he, he came out of the back of a cave at me um, and passed by me at less than five five feet. And I... I'd, drilling with my 308 and you know it was it was a, a blood brushing moment and <laughs> we um you know I, I shot him from the hip because i didn't have time to get him get, get it to my shoulder because he all i heard was a, a rattle of, of rocks as he came out at me yeah, yeah there's a story to go with that yeah with that animal and, and and it doesn't matter what his tusk yeah and it doesn't matter because it's the story now but, um, you know, I'm in the process of building a, a, a display mount for it to, to, to hang it on. And, and I was burning, I had a wood burner out that day and I was burning into the back of it. And, um, and my wife came by and said to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm putting its name on the back so that everyone <laughs> knows what it is. And, and, and she just went, and one of my daughters was there and she went, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so everyone will know, you know, whoever picks it up at any point from here on, turn it around and there on the back of it is the cave ball, March 19, you know, and and so it'll, you know, they'll always know that there's a cool story attached to that. So that's, that's uh, of more value than any point scoring system. Yeah. And, and getting, Rob, getting back to to. Steve Ranella and, and Randy Newberg and, and some of those guys is I think that's why they don't do this. They don't do it because the first thing that guys want to know is what does it score? Yeah. So yeah. If, they, if they don't display it and you don't talk about it as a trophy, yeah. Yeah. and then they're not trying to justify oh, this bloody god awful point scoring system. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I won't tell anyone. I like like. Um, I just give oh. vagaries. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I don't know yeah. the score of any of mine. <laughs> yeah. I it, because I forget that so quickly. I'm like, I've got three fallow. How am I going to remember the score of all of those? <laughs> and, and and then she's never been a numbers person. Yeah, that's a yeah. problem. <laughs> and the thing with fallow is, it's is measuring. If you're going to measure them for any system, it, it it's so confusing anyway. Yeah. 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 I don't mind knowing. I mean, we've 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 found out yeah. initially yeah. with ours, but yeah, certainly not. So I, I, mean, posted, had a... I posted my fellow this year on social media that I I took over in New Zealand, and he's definitely my my personal best that I've ever hunted. Um, uh, there's no doubt about it. But I like I asked everyone what they thought the score was, and the scores went all over the place. You know, and, yeah, that and, was uh, that was funny to see. Yeah, it was yeah. funny to see, wasn't it? And and you had all these guys coming out of the woodwork saying, "Oh, I've scored this, scored for you know for twenty years, and I know that this is this, and this is going to reduce yeah. that, and whatever." And, yeah. and but I never told anyone what what he scored, mm. you know, at all. Yeah. This might, yeah. he's my, he's my, you know, I hunted him, you know, it's um. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about the, some of these point scoring things is you you get additions and subtractions for certain features on on, on the antler or on the horns. Well, why? 
Yeah. 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 But the whole thing, Steve, is watered down. The whole thing is watered down by the fact that you can go to one of these high fence farms, you know, anywhere in the world pretty much, and you can shoot yourself a a 270 model Douglas as long as you're willing to pay, you know, fellow deer, as long as you're willing to pay, you know, the seven or eight grand it's going to cost you. Now, there's no story associated with that. It was just a cash transaction. The, you know. But the, the problem is, though, is it's not with... I Personally, I don't believe it's with the scoring system. It's not that there's anything wrong with wanting to know how big something is or how well it's scored or anything like that because somewhat there, there is a certain aspect of it that when you're out hunting, actually holding back and, and waiting for something that's really good, waiting for something that you know is... Whether, whether that means that you're waiting for something that's going to score well or you're just waiting for something that you really like, whatever it is that your preference is, there is something about that discernment, I think, of actually hunting hard and going to get it. So that's what the score system, though, was originally, I think, about. And I don't have any issue with that. I I agree with you that the issue... It leads to guys just flying in... Of Turning up day one, but there's no shooting, discernment in that. shooting this this rock solid, enormous, and this is what we're seeing today. Mm. You, you look at all these photos that come out of the South Island of New Zealand of these red deer. They're not red deer, you know. Mm. These things, uh, it's a bush on top of its head, you know. <laughs> Some genetically modified it, Christmas it, tree. <laughs> it really does. It really <laughs> looks like a deer, you know. And and it's and to really. me that like I. I, I don't want to take away from the fact that some people don't have the opportunity to hunt and, and they still want to be able to take part. I, and I don't, I don't really care about um, what options people want to, to, to have to hunt either. I mean, if, they, if they've got that option and it's legal, well, okay, go for it. Right, it's a business model. Yeah. And if, that, if that's what, if that's what works for, for that business, and that particular person, yeah, okay, go. Yeah, but for me, but for me, it just doesn't, it, it, it just doesn't do anything for me at yeah, all. It no, it doesn't for me. And, and probably getting back to our discussion about that that hunter acceptance out in the community, it's those. It unfortunately, it, it's this stuff that that's getting posted. Mm. Yeah, and it's this stuff that the that the media is picking up on. Yeah. yeah, and and then it's it's that then groups you know the the um, animal liberationists and some of the uh, environmental groups are picking up on it and and it it, it it it's it doesn't it's not a good look and it's very yeah. hard to defend. It is and, hard to defend. It's hard to justify. Yeah, it, it, but we as a general community probably shouldn't be trying to justify it because mm-hmm. we we should be just okay yeah that's a business model that works um you know it works in texas it works in south africa um where they've got different colors of from the the, the original animals it works you know wherever it works it works yeah it works. i won't even shoot them i mean yeah, well, that's it so and, you know it works in new zealand Whoever it works, yeah. Whoever it wants to do, and you know, I was just having a discussion with, with um, one of our members today about the uh, different styles of, of guys hunting. So, um, just bringing the club back in a little bit, we we've now got uh, seven properties that we 
that we have coordinators appointed for, and we've got two properties that we've got that handholders um, um, manage and control themselves. Yeah. And um, we get hunt reports back from, from our members when they go out, and we're we constantly getting reports saying, oh, there's nothing there, there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Right. And then a couple of us go out, and we go, what are these guys talking about? There's heaps of stuff here. <laughs> yeah. If you don't get out of your truck, you won't, you don't see yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You've got to actually hunt. Yeah. So it, if that's what they want to do, that's what the, that, that's fine. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They want to drive around in their four-wheel drive air condition with the windows wound up all day. Um, that's fine. Um, but don't come home and say to me, there's nothing there. <laughs> because when I go out there, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm going to get out of my truck and I'm going to put my backpack on and I'm going to walk for 10 or 15 k's and I'm going to walk walk the rubber off your boots and yeah. we're going to we're going to get some some animals on the deck. I liked well, you at I the think... start, Steve, but I like you even more now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mean you could you could probably walk a couple hundred meters and see more than they'd see in the car. To be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, look, yeah, it, it's horses for courses. Let's not bag them out. Yeah. But let's try and the community try and pull together and 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 try and present a better image than what we're presenting. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And then that way, we're going to get some credibility within the general community. Yeah. Yeah. And then when yeah, and when we're talking to, and we probably and we haven't touched this, and I don't really want to go off on a tangent on this, but when we start talking to government agencies about access to to public land or to being involved in game management, then we're presenting a fun. We can say, look, you're okay. There's going to be guys going to go in, and they're going to pick the guys out, and they're going to take all the all the big trophy trophy balls or whatever that's right there's going to be some guys going to come in and they're just going to come in and take um, meat animals they're going to shoot one or two animals and they're going to carry it out and that's it. Yeah. Uh, we, as a, we also need guys going to come in and they're going to shoot 10 females take and harvest off them they're probably going to leave 8 seven or eight of them on the ground, mm. they're, they're just as valuable. And we can do that as an industry, whereas at the moment we can't do that. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. we're too busy fighting with each other. Yeah, yeah I agree. The government um, integration is something that we really need to work on as a community. I mean, the U.S., in many, many states in the U.S., they have this really, really well down pat, you know. Um, and... Yeah. Uh, and even even in their conservation models and stuff like this, and and uh, it's something that uh, uh, that I I would love to see here in Australia. If only we could have a, a more of a combined front, um, you know. And yeah, well, yeah, that, and that's difficult because we always we got the deer guys and then we got the goat guys and we got the pig guys and yeah, and then you got the bow hunters and the rifle hunters, hunters and rifle hunters and yeah. trappers. Yeah. Yeah. And you got the, the, the hound hound guys. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. 
Yeah, and the spot and stalkers can't stand the hound guys, no. you know, because they were yeah, all everything. That's a whole new kettle of fish. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's not. What we've got to do is somehow find a game within our own community, mm. find the common ground. Yeah. We had, we had a, a great little block of country here, right on the Gold Coast, um, where we were hunting. Deer. It was a. It was a. Basically, it was a pest control operation for Lean Holder. But as a club, we were hunting deer. Um, we were tr- originally we kept it very controlled, and, and then we opened it up slowly, opened it, opened it up, and then we got hunters going out, and we got lots of guys going out, and finally there was a couple of stuff ups because we just we, we got a little bit too lax, and. It blew up in the community around us. We were actually hunting up against houses. Right. And we were doing it successfully. We were doing it really successfully. And we had one, two incidences and, and one or two people in a community that started crazy. Yeah. And we went back to the club and someone stood up at the club and said, you bow hunters have done this. And I had to say, hey, listen, it's not the bow hunters. It was everybody. Yeah. And we all have to take responsibility for for stuffing up. Yeah. And, yeah, laying blame's and, not gonna help. Yeah, don't don't lay blame. And, you know, um pig doggers in our in our community up here. Uh, you, you I don't know whether you guys have got pig doggers down here or whether you've got No, we don't. we don't have pigs. Yeah. Yeah, well it creates a whole different dynamic. and and, and everybody says as they Pig doggers, uh, you know, and yeah, okay, we've got some, we, we, they've got, they've, uh, they've got some things they've got to clean up. Yeah. But yeah. let's, let's talk, let's talk, let's sit down and go, okay, guys, we need you to come in on board and we need to have a discussion and it can't be no way the highway, it's got to be, let's get some dialogue going so we're talking in common language. Don't leave pigs in don't leave more pigs in state forest kill everything because you've got to stand where those pigs are going with what they're doing and 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 if we had a disease outbreak like this asian swan flu that's currently wiping out most of the domestic pigs in china vietnam um and well slowly moving down the ocean peninsula if it gets to here Guess what's going to be the vector for carrying um, Asian swine flu? It's yeah. going to be the millions of feral pigs that we've got. Yeah. So don't don't have an understanding of what we're doing, and this gets back to what you're talking about about conservation and management. Yeah. It's, in Australia, unfortunately, all our animals, most all our animals we hunt, introduce animals now as hunters we see them as game animals as landholders they see them as sometimes they see them as a resource yeah sometimes they see them as an aesthetic animal something that they like to see in their paddocks yeah sometimes they often though they see them as a pet yeah government agencies only see them as an introduced invasive Pest animal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, pest animal. Yep. So Something to count. Yep. 
conservation uh, groups or environmental groups only see them as invasive pest animals that have to be removed, that have to be annihilated. Yeah. So we've got, we've got, again, once again, believe it or not, there is some common ground there and we've got to find it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when they see, when those guys that talk about pest, pest species, only see us taking out male animals and translocating animals and, and managing birds to the point where they get out of control, I want to talk to them. Yeah. Because, because they don't see their common ground. Yeah. And, and when recreational hunters criticise pest controllers for shooting a thousand pigs out of a chopper over two days, they don't understand either yep. what's and why that has happened. Yeah. They yeah. need to also learn their language and, and, and try and talk and try and find the common ground and find out where there's some crossover that we can assist each other. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. I mean, we, we're in a unique kind of spot because we do all of the above. And, uh, yeah. and, and if there was predator hunting here, we'd do that too. Yeah. But we're required to, you know, some of the farms that we hunt on, you you have to go and you have to you have to perform crop protection on those farms. Um, and you're actually, you actually have an, an amount of time that you have to spend. Um doing that otherwise you can't hunt there at all on uh, an, another couple of farms that we hunt on here we perform the crop protection alone for that farm um and it is the sole reason why we are the primary people that look after that farm um from a conservation perspective um and uh and do we take every animal no we don't we, we physically can't i mean um, uh, you know, but at the same time, we, we see that there is a need to make sure that the farmer's livelihood is protected mm. um, uh, because the, our, our interests are, are, a, um, are purely a, an addition to his activities. Um, you know, that's yeah. all they are. Yeah, and, 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 and let's not, con- as one of the terms I hear all the time, Oh, I'm doing him a favour. Yeah, yeah. No, you're bloody not. No, <laughs> no, no. He's, that's doing, ex- you he's a favor. doing you a favour, and I've said that to my kids many times. I, that, that's a really, I, I'm really glad to hear you say that because that's exactly what I've said to my kids many, many times. You're here because he's graceful enough to let us be here. Mm-hmm. He's letting you into his business. Yep. On, on his multi-million dollar asset. Yep. his his home. And his business, his family's, often his family's history, his his family's future, and he doesn't want some peanut that has no understanding or respect for that to come in and think he's doing think he's doing him a favour. Yeah, because damn straight. I wouldn't open so, my door and, and let let strangers come and walk through my house, even if they offered to clean the... Well, maybe if they offered to clean the toilets. <laughs> I'd be hard-pressed anyway to just let some stranger into my home to start walking around, and that's what people don't understand. That's what you're asking for. 
You're asking you to go onto this guy's property. It belongs to him. Yeah, you need no, to show him is. some respect. Yeah. In that. And Those animals, they belong to him. The fences, I mean, they belong to him. You know, all of it. Yeah, and, 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 you know, let's leave the insurance side aside. Yeah. There's a whole, because that opens a whole other... Yeah, exactly. But do you want that that man or that family to come and knock on your door and say, oh, we're here for three days, we've we come to take over your day. Um, you can you can sleep on the lounge, can't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what you're asking them to do. And it's their risk too, you know. It's not your yeah, risk. It, if you go on there and you, you accidentally forget through no deliberate act of your own, but if you forget to shut a gate because it's two o'clock in the morning and you've been out hunting for six hours, driving through paddocks and gate after gate after gate, and you forget to latch one properly, and a whole paddock of sheep escape, that's his risk. That's his money that he's lost. You, you're not expected to then pay for that. And no one's going to offer to do that. No, I had this exact conversation with someone else um, here last night um, because this is one of the things that... I've incorporated into into the training course is because I had, when I had my own place, I had an experience of a of a rooster bringing us out because he did not open gates. He used to bring just a open town to open the gates for me. Well, I went out one day and I I, I was a holistic um, raiser. All my Goats and sheep and cattle were all in one paddock, and they used. I had a plant that was all done on a on a big plan, and I used to have they'd be in. They might be in for ten days, and then they they're out of that. I used to move, open the gates, move them, and go and go in. So he went from one paddock to the next, and he didn't check that they'd locked the gate, latched the gate properly. And some dirty old goat or an old ewe walked up to the gate. Give it a nudge, mm. it popped open. I had 2,000 animals hit a paddy and, and took the top out of it that was still a week away from being grazed. Yeah. Oh. Now, they figure out the whole plan. So then I'm, I'm scrambling then to work out how do I manage this in my, in my system because the paddock they moved into wasn't an easy one to muster. And at, at the time, I was unwell. I couldn't get on a horse and just go and, and run around and muster it. And I had really good dogs, but we still couldn't get it mustered. So mm. that, that my whole grazing plan was stuffed. I had to then rejig everything to yeah. make allowances that he just knocked five days out of my grazing plan. And yeah. Five days doesn't sound like a lot, but in, in the recovery of, of the plan, and if I hit a dry plan, it was a lot of time. Yeah. So, you know, that people have to have that understanding. Mm. Yeah. Or, 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 you know, that it's, it's easier, and this is why it's easier to say no and keep the gates closed. Yeah. And yep. start to I had, we leased our for a while, and the guy that was leasing it with him was a, uh, a bred cunning horses. Yeah, some idiot from town turn up and say, Oh, don't worry, mate. If I shoot one of your horses, I'll pay for it. <laughs> Those horses were worth forty and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. What sort of what sort of stupid attitude is that? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. You know, this is you know, 
the landholder is doing you a favour yeah. by leaving you pursue your recreation. Yeah. We yeah. went to a dinner down here um, a couple of months ago. Mum and I went, and as part of the, it, it, it was for hunters and um, for one of the associations. And afterwards, they opened it up to a Q and A. And the dinner was, it was a presentation and a dinner, right? And the presentation was, um, they'd brought a guy in from the US, and he was talking about land management and managing populations of deer and things like that to best utilize the resource. Um, when you don't actually own the land yourself or when you, it's not high fenced. You're t- so we're talking about free range populations. Anyway, beside the point. So that, that was what the whole presentation was about. And at the end they opened it up for questions and he got absolutely, I, I was honestly embarrassed for the guy because he got bombarded with accusations and, and questions and people were mad about land access here in Tassie and the fact that they couldn't get enough of it. And they, yeah. they're saying how farmers are just locking the gates and they're not even giving them a chance and they're so ticked off about it because there's no way for them to access decent land with the, with the deer on it. And, and I'm just like, I mean, for one, th- that guy couldn't do anything about it. He was visiting from the US. He had no control over the situation whatsoever. So it started on the wrong foot. But I was just, yeah. I was almost, we, we don't own our own land, but I was almost offended for the farmers that people had such bad attitudes towards them. It was like, you know what? Take any one of you, and if any of you turned up at my door with that attitude, there's no way I'd be opening it and letting you in, that's for sure. No, I'm saying, sure. yeah, sure. You know, come and do yeah. what you will. Do whatever you like. That's right. And, and what a lot of guys doing, and just briefly touching on the insurance issue, is it doesn't matter that we've got $20 million public liability like we have as a club, and that you're covered as long as you're legally hunting here in Australia. If you have an accident on that farm, under work cover, farms are workplaces 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It does not matter that you are there recreationally. It becomes a, a markdown in the stats as a workplace accident. Yeah. So if you shoot yourself getting through a fence, that's a workplace accident. Guess whose insurance gets affected? Guess who has work cover come in and find them, find them for unsafe practices? Yeah. Which is not the hunter. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. that landholder. Mm. So these, this is what we've got. So, you know, this is what we've got, we've got to get that understanding. Yeah. Of, and this is what we do. This is our focus and, and what we do in our in our training business. Hey guys, just want to take a moment to tell you guys about I Am Hunter. This podcast is part of the I Am Hunter network or group that, that we've put together, uh, which is a series of um, advocacy and information details that we provide for hunting. It's a membership site, um, and that membership helps us to be able to support and pay for the articles and the details that we're providing to the community and to, well, to everyone, hunters and and non-hunters alike. Um, If you want to help support that message and support us to keep that hunting message alive, then by all means, jump on and get on to www.iamhunter.net. And thank you very much for your support. Yeah. That's excellent. That that level of respect is something that has to be taught. I mean, you know, uh, it was one of the one of the you know, my my family were graziers in in New South Wales and they they owned land and everything else and and um and 
not only you know were you taught to respect your own land but but anyone else's for that matter as well you know um and that that respect i think um can be easily missed in today's society when everything is about quick gratification you know and mm. if i don't get quick gratification i'm ticked off you mm. know and and this is for anything anymore yeah respect for each other yeah um, and and or property um in the in the you know generally probably that's an unfair statement but there is a lot of of it's not there is no respect yeah 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 and it it has to be taught because the only way we can that like you know queensland's a great example where everything's locked up you know um states like western australia are pretty much the same um you know and we we don't want any of the other states to go that way um but at the same time one of the saving graces is the farmers Mm, they they are the saving graces for hunting in australia yeah. And yeah. we and we need to make sure we respect that at yeah. every level. And there is something that hunters can bring to them, and there is a benefit that hunters can do for them because there are there are issues with overpopulation of. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at the drought that we've had in Victoria, and um and the kang- the problem with the kangaroos that any feed or or water that was around the kangaroos were just smashing, and so. Yeah. Hunters can yeah. provide a valuable resource to farmers, but they need to go into it with the respect and the understanding that that primarily they're not doing the farmer a favour, the farmer's doing them a favour, or, or at the very least that the farmer is taking all of the risk in the activity and they're taking barely any of, any of it at all. Yeah, and it, do, and it doesn't matter where you find an indemnity for them. Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That little guy is taking a risk with yep. you. Yeah. You know, and, um, yeah, we... We we so yeah, there has to be there has to be this understanding and coming from my where I come from and, and like my family farm, um, we've had we had hunters and shooters coming on to our family farm for thirty years, more than thirty years, um, and um, but, yeah, we used to spare, spare we had huts and and spare houses that Mum used to have these guys come in and they'd camp in them and then they'd run around the, the, the hills and hunt goats and pigs and things. And um, So I had a probably had a unique understanding of it. So coming into into a club like I've come into, and then, but I'd also seen the bad side. Yeah. You know, so I'd seen the good side and there's a lot of good guys out there, but I'd seen some pretty crappy stuff. And in, in the end, 18 months, two years ago, my brother... Bought my parents out, took over, took over the the land side of the of the farm and and all of the management, and he went out one day and he told some guys, "Don't go into this valley because we only have one way into it, and if and there's a spring on the side of the road, if you get and you will get bolted in there, don't go in there." Yeah. The third guy that went in there, he, he could step from the ground onto the top of his boot. He was planted that badly. Yeah. Wow. He just said, I've had enough. I'm closing, my, I'm closing the gates. You guys are all gone. Yeah. And they, they howled and they wailed and they carried on and he still gets calls today 
from those same guys wanting out there. Yeah. So what we've done now is now companies access only. Our state, if our station hand and yourself is not standing alongside of you, you don't get access. You don't get to drive, drive around further anymore because we just we just can't afford to do it. We just don't do it. And yeah. we've closed it down, right down, and just given the, the guys from, from my tub that, that access. But and there's and there's so many golfers out there that have had similar experiences. Right. So when I came into the club, I had all this history, and I saw what they what they were attempting to do. And I just said, guys, you're missing the whole thing. This has to be about the landholding. Yeah, exactly. Base. It's great to teach firearm safety. Yeah. It's great to talk talk about hunting methods. But if you're accessing private land, first and foremost, before you come in that gate, you have to understand where that farm is at, how the farm operates, and what the expectation of that farmer or landholder is uh, are of you during your visit. Yeah. Because all the rest become null and void if you stuff up and he closes the gate. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And public land has to be the same. Now, you know, um, as you said, Rod, Queensland moment there's no no um, public land hunting up there. And there's no public hunting up there for a reason. And that's because of the way the leases and the and the, and the public land is managed. It's managed different to other states. Yeah. It's it's not big big forestry coops. There are some of, there is some of that, but a lot of it is private leases that are that are owned. People are paying money for big money for. Them. Yeah. That are that are based. Uh, they're like the, the old perpetual lease that used to be in New South Wales, step um, below that, in, in that the government owns them in perpetuity, but you're leasing them in, in their 99-year blocks or 40-year blocks or something. So people are, are spending money on infrastructure on those, on those so-called forestry dark forests. Yeah. They don't want you coming in and saying, oh, the government's just giving me access because it, it's a different system. Yeah. So hunters have to have a, have an understanding that just because it's leasehold, just because it's it's um, prior, it's um, state forest, that it works the same way it does in New South Wales or Victoria, um, or wherever, you know, each state is different, and that's you know, and we don't have those big public land blocks that everyone hears about on the hunting pod that they have, or we see on on YouTube in, that they have in the United in the Western United States. Yeah, we just don't, we just don't have those big tracts of wilderness where everyone's able to. They're usually locked up in national parks. And that's a different thing again. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we just, you know, and, you know, getting back to how our target species are seen within the community, if a government agency is telling you that they're a pest animal, 
and they have to reduce the numbers, we need to and we need to get a go, okay, how do we do how do we best achieve those results? Because eradication might be viable. But how do we get them to a manageable level where they're not impacting on on public or private landholders? How how they're not creating road hazards, they're not um, creating environmental damage by by um, going into uh, environmentally sensitive areas and, and lowering and make putting tracks and all that sort of stuff in. How do we get how do we get to a common ground? And by the way, it's not going to be we're going to go in and take the big amstag out of there. We're going to have to take out 15 or 20 females that are bringing everything else into in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and getting back to the where we were at on this little little block of land on the Gold Coast, we were originally approached by a golf course, and they, they were having damage by by deer, and we got a call, and they said we we got we got deer coming onto the golf course. They're tearing it, and we need help. And okay, we'll come and have a look. What sort of species have you got? Well, we don't know. They just got four legs and and you know ears and a big long neck. And they jump fences. <laughs> and they jump fences, yeah. And they come in at night time, and they're they're rubbing up, they're smashing our trees, and they're walking across our bunkers, and they're fighting on our fairways. Okay, so we went in. I said, well, you know, we, number one, we can't shoot in here because it's a it's a commercial zone. Yeah. So. But that bit of land alongside you, where the plumbing was from, what's the there? Oh, we own that too. Well, can we have permission to go? Yep, yeah, you can have permission to go in there. So we went in, and they said, "But you haven't any rifles with you." And I said, "No, we need to know what we're dealing with first." Yeah. And we found that we had big mobs of hinds coming in, bringing everything else in with them. Yeah. So when we, I went back to the, the the team that I was working with, they guys, we've got to take out all these females. We're not going to shoot. We, we, yeah, there's some fantastic stags in there, and we all drooled over the the players we got off our trial cameras about the stags, and everyone got excited about it. But I said, there are hinds there. If we don't take those hinds out, we are never going to stop it. Well, what we did is we, we took out 15 hinds, and guess what? The pressure on the golf club stopped. Yeah. Mm. So if you have an understanding of what you're doing, and the big stags are still there to this day, yeah. it took two or three, I think, big stags out out of out of that particular herd. But the really big stags are still there to this day, and and it was because we 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 had a focus when we said. We, our job is here to stop the damage on the golf course. That's yeah. what they're asking yeah. us to do. So let's take those hinds out that are the matriarchs of this herd and are bringing, they have the the route, the, the, the travel routes embedded into their brain. They do it every night. Yeah. They're teaching all the younger hinds to come in. They, they're teaching them the travel routes too. So we've got, we've got to just put a hold on all of these. Back them off, 
And when we started, I started aging the animals, and the hinds we took out, originally, initially we took out a heap of younger animals. Yeah. Because they were the ones that used to stand when we, when we first got there. And finally we got down to about four old hinds. And when we got, got and they were still coming in and out of the golf course, there were about four animals, and they were still coming in and out. And we took those four those last four animals out, and they, in aging their jaws, were anywhere up to 15 millimeters. Wow. And by, t- by taking those, la- by continuing to put the pressure on them and take those animals out, we stopped the pressure. Yeah. So how do we apply this out into the wildlife landscape? Okay, we've got a farm that says, I've got too many deer, I've got 200 deer coming in. Don't go in and take... Oh, yeah, can I come in and take two or three? No. Go in and take the numbers down. Say to him, what do you, what do you want? What do you yeah. want to see? I, mean, I don't want to see them all taken out. I'd like to see 20 or 30. Okay, that's so the important you... thing. Ask the question. See the farmer. I mean, you know, this is a common thing that, that again, like with my kids, we do all the time. We'll, we'll go and see the farmer and say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, do you need dog food or do you yeah. need... You know, or is there any issue around the property? You know, what about, is it that you want? Yeah, and, and quite often he's yeah, turned around yeah. and he said to us, you know, because we think by turning up and, and going there, we think that he wants the wallabies taken out, like a lot of the wallabies, because yeah. they hit all these new crops when he plants them for the sheep and stuff. But um, a couple of times we've turned up and he's and in doing that, having a bit of a conversation to us, he's gone, no, actually, can you please just bring the shotguns out or can you please yeah. focus on the um, possums for me? Well, he problem. said the possums yeah. are just going nuts, and he said I can't can't get rid of them. Yeah, and and here on here on the mainland, of course, we have the the foxes and the yeah. pigs. Yeah. And, and if he's changed his spot in his production cycle, so he may may have gone from where you now he's got uh, crops that the roos are hanging and um, the roos are hammering, and they uh, have been creating damage to lambing. And the foxes and the pigs are absolutely decimating his lambs. So where it might have been roos two months ago, it yeah. might now be foxes and pigs that he needs taken out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've, got to, you've got to ask the question. Yeah. And, you know, and like we, uh, using deer as an example again, we, we've got a property, one of our properties that we have access to has tittle deer on it. So we went, to, we went there and I said to the... The guy and I said, you know, what's the go for chili? Oh, we'd really like to see them in our paddock. I said, okay. So you don't want them completely shot out? He said, oh, no, no, we'd hate to see them shot out. And I said, okay. So we've got, at that stage, I think we had 300 members of people. We've got 300 guys, and when we open Budgate, when we open this up, you're going to have guys coming in. And if we don't put put a price on these animals, we're going to be at wipeout position very quickly. Yeah. So I, was, I said to him, "How about we put land price on it?" At that stage, lambs were bringing the 150 bucks. Yeah. I said, "No meat animal, 150 bucks in your pocket. That will stop them from just coming out. So when they pull the trigger, they're going to be thinking that's 150 bucks in." Yeah. So I've got to have that in my. Have I got that in my wallet? If I don't have that in my wallet, can I go? Can I go to the closest town and get that? 
and to make sure I, I pay that farmer or that animal. Yeah. He said, oh, really? And I said, yep, because I said, Other, you want these animals on your landscape. So we did that, and then they built an exclusion fence, and one of the neighbouring properties got a top ring yep. and shot most of the herd, and we're down to about a dozen animals. Oh, he's kidding. And we said, and we said to him, and he came to us and he said, guys, well, we, we noticed that they dropped, and I just about to make the call and say, hey, how about we stop shooting them? Yeah. And he us and said, guys, we can't, but you can't shoot them anymore. And we said, well, funny that we were just about to call you because we we, we know that you like to have, we know that you want them yeah. in your paddock, and we know there's now no longer enough there to be liable to shoot. Yeah. So we pulled our guys back and we said and we said to the farmer, So what does what do you want to see in your paddock? And he said, Okay, I want to see twenty of them. Okay. So got cameras out, we're monitoring to her, we're we're working with, with them and our guys know they not to take deer. But yeah. if we keep keep our eye on them, we keep looking looking after them, we 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 play our predator control. We take out the foxes that are going to be killing the killing the calves, and and we and um, to help the herd along. A couple of years' time, we'll have shooter. We'll have we'll be able to take three or four deer out of you. Yeah. And, and that will slowly grow. Yeah. But exactly. They want twenty. So does that mean we let them get to forty before we do something about it? No, it doesn't. But it might mean that we have to let them get to 25 or, or 30. Yeah. And then and say, all right, guys, we definitely need to take out 10 every year. And we need to take out six females and four and three young um, stags and, and one mature. Yeah. And that's all we've got in that herd. Yeah. You know, so we, we have to listen to our landholder. You know, if our landholder is telling us, hey, guys, I've got problems in – we need to listen. And, it, you know, we we actually had guys on our own place drive past foxes the other day on the off chance that they might find a pig. Yeah. Well, foxes at this time of the year for us are devastating because we're in our lambing, peak lambing season. Yeah. So every fox we take out probably means one to two lambs a night that we that we were saving. Yeah. And at the moment, could, that could be anywhere up to four hundred dollars of yeah. income. Yeah, that's no right. So you know, yes. So yeah. So we, you know, we as a community, we we do. We have to get better at listening to our landholders. We have to find a, a way through that we can engage our community. Generally, we have, to, and, you know, we have to work with government agencies because that's the fact of it. We can't keep saying, oh, no, they just want to wipe everything out. Well, okay, let's work our way through this where we can get a system where it works yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah, there's there's certainly a, there, there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot to do. I mean, our and this kind of comes back to the um, 
I guess the hunting industry in Australia in, in, in many respects is uh, when you compare it to the States or even most of Europe and places like that, we're quite immature. And, um, oh, very, very, very immature. Yeah, um, and, and there's a lot that we, we need to do um, in the future of uh, hunting for Australia to actually gain maturity. Um, and it's what it's again. It's one of the things we've noticed as as a business ourselves on the hunt check side of things that you know we get people contacting us quite regularly to um, uh, to represent their business. Um, and we won't we, as as an agency we 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 won't actually um, send any client anywhere unless we've hunted there ourselves. And um, and we've been and seen and, and taken part in hunting activities that we just will not send clients to, yeah, um, because of the level of, of or the or the lack of maturity mm. associated with what they're doing. And that comes down to a number of factors, you know, the safety involved with that. There's the actual well, safety is of the one hunt of the itself. biggest factors, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, you know, uh, I, I'm not saying you can't drink while you go hunting or anything like that, but for me. If I'm going to have a have a drink, generally it's uh, you know at night, um, well after well after everything's finished, yeah. you know, um, and it's a couple of drinks. It's not a it's not a smash Bender. myself s- yeah. stupid session, you know. Um, I just don't think that you know if you're going to get up early in the morning for starters to go and hunt something, I don't think that it's um it's conductive, or, yeah. you know, to. To actually, uh, actually, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, (laughs) you know, I mean, more power to you if if that's your thing. But, but, um, but but I can just as easily sit there with a, you know, with a with a glass of wine, mate, in a in a, 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 you know, tent side or whatever, or uh, you know, cup of tea, yeah, or a cup of tea. You know, it's funny. uh, We had a we had a local policeman turn up unannounced. Yeah. At, our, at one of our courses, um, we had our signs out on the road directing the guys in for the day, um, and he had been doing a patrol on this area, seeing our signs, and he thought, "Oh, I'll just drop in and see what 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 this is all about." So yeah. Drove in, drove up to where the camp was. We operate out of an old converted shearing shed on, on this particular property, and he just finished putting. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon, and we we just finished. We're we're just finishing up. We're having smoko between sessions, and we're putting. We'd had a ton of little firearms out for one of our sessions, and we we're just putting those away. And he walked. He walked. I walked up to him, and knowing who I was, what we were doing, who we were, and he said, "You're a hunters camp," and I said, "Yep." And he said, "So, where's all the dead soldiers?" And I said, dead soldiers? And he said, yeah, this is the hunting camp, isn't it? And I said, yeah. And I said, we don't operate like that. And he went, are you serious? He said, you're the first I've ever been into a hunter's camp that at 3 o'clock in the afternoon there is not beer bottles and cans lying around everywhere and the camp's the camp's already half yeah. half gone. And I said, no, our guys will have, he said, we're going to be going, come in and sit in. And he sat down, he sat through a whole session, and it was the, actually the landholder section that he sat through. Yeah. And um, 
he got up at the end of it and he said, oh, you know, thanks for letting us get in. I'm, I'm, you know, yeah. He said, take my hat off to you guys. He said, you're the first group that I've ever come in where it's, it's clean. You're talking, you make sense, but he said the big thing is there's no beer bottles being out there around that campground. Yeah, yeah. And we recently in one of our courses had someone said, one of our new guys come in and said, you know, I bought 30, 30 beers for this course because I thought it would be like it always has been. Yeah. <laughs> a beer drinking course. Yeah. And I kick, him, I kick him to bed at, at 9.30 around my time. Yeah. And I, I don't no apologies for it. I, I, I just say to him, you know, if you're here to learn, guys, you're not here, it's not here to be away from the family or your trouble at the work and, and yourself. You're, you're going to bed and turn the lights off. Everyone's, got, everyone's going back to their, to their swag. That's it. Mm. Yeah. And... Um, this guy said to us at the end of the thing, he said, you know, I bought 30 beers, but he said, I haven't felt like doing it. I haven't had felt like doing it because you guys don't do it. He still had 30 left. I've drunk about six. Yeah. Yeah. And, and turned around to my team at the end of it, and I said, you know, this culture that we have to break, as a as an industry, it's a, it's a culture that we have to break because that's well, just like posting crappy photos of blown up rabbits and things yeah. on yeah on social media yeah that image do us any good in the in the community either yeah I absolutely yeah. agree and it's something that, that that I've always steered clear of I mean because I mean for the at least the last kind of ten years anyway practically. I've been hunting with my kids, so um, you know, as, as they've gotten old enough, and uh, and it certainly doesn't interest me to have my kids around some campfire with a whole heap of morons, you know, getting absolutely smashed. And, um, and especially act, seeing acting. as I mean, two of his kids that hunt with him the most are girls, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> guys, and, and alcohol uh, and campfires, and <laughs> yeah, exactly, and or something stupid, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And look, we, we have hunted with people that have been drinking and it's just not fun. Like, yeah. it's it's not a good experience because the whole time you're going, yeah. well, this doesn't seem safe. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. like, is this guy going to screw up somehow? Is someone going to get hurt? Is, you know, it just isn't a good experience. Yeah. And none of us mind, like I said, glass of wine, yeah, like, the occasional beer, you know, we'll, no, we'll nothing have a against, couple of drinks. Yeah, nothing against any of that. It's just that... There is a time and a place, and uh, you know I sound like my dad now, but but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just don't think that guns and alcohol really mix very well. Yeah, well, isn't it one of the ten commandments of firearm safety? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. Alcohol and drugs and firearms um, don't, don't mix. Yeah, and, exactly. Know, and, and I mean, yeah. I I do bow hunting as well, and I don't think that uh. Alcohol and sharp broadheads mix either. Like I just don't think it's a very good idea when you've got a weapon or not a weapon, a firearm or a or a you know bow or something that is designed to like put a fatal blow on an animal. Yeah. And you're drinking and you know inebriated around it. I just don't think yeah. that's a good idea. Mm. Anyway, that's uh, you know. 
Really, Steve, that, that's absolutely fantastic, mate. We've really enjoyed the discussion with you tonight. And, um, and uh, you know, it, it's been great learning about the, um, the uh, um, Game Hunters Association of Australia. Um, do you want to just give us, um, just tell us again whereabouts you guys are located and how can people contact you guys if they're in Queensland or the top of New South Wales and they want to get involved? Yep, so um, we, we operate, our meeting base is, is Narang. Um, yep, so out of Narang? Yeah, we operate out How often do you meet, Steve? We, we meet first Tuesday of every month, okay. except, except January. All right. Um, the best way to find us is actually on, uh, via our website, and, yep. and it's just very simply, it's ghaa.com.au. Okay. Um, it... Uh, a lot of the information on the, uh, on the club is there. All the basic information on the club is there. If they've got further questions, there's a contact us page, um, and that and uh, which sends a uh, email to um, our inquiries email, and I manage all of that. So uh, any of the uh, inquiries, they come directly to me across my desk. But it, sometimes if I'm out bush. Um, like I'm about to be for 10 days, I, I may not uh, answer straight away, but I usually answer within, you know, within a day or two and uh, get back to them. And yep. um, sometimes, you know, it, it, uh, it carry, I carry on a lot of uh, conversation with guys before they join up. Um, if they just want to... Um, we're, we're a reason to own for both New South Wales and Queensland for firearms and crossbows in, in, um, in Queensland, so... Uh, guys can use. You can own crossbows in Queensland. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they're legal in Queensland. Um, oh, our next property um, we're buying in Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> we, have a, we have a small uh, group of guys in the club that that run crossbows. I have an um, American mate that sells crossbows for a living, and he, he would be absolutely stoked if I could use a crossbow. He said to me many times, "That would be yeah, that would be very interesting." Yeah, so, that, so that's probably the best way to um, to contact us, and then from there I'll um, you know I'll, I'll answer their questions, I'll direct them to our meet to our, where our meeting is, yeah, um, and can come along as as a guest. Um, on uh, most meetings now, we very rarely if we don't have someone that's found us on the internet. Um, last meeting, I think we had about five or six guys. That heard about us and just turned up. They'd sent me um, some inquiry um, inquiries via the the website, and I'd go, given them out the meeting details. And yeah, they turned up, and yeah, and we try and make them welcome. Um, we're going to stand up and t- tell us a little bit about themselves, so that we get to know who they are, and um, uh, and then it helps break the ice, so that when later on we can come up and say, oh, say, you're John, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, Fantastic. Um, you know, um, and, um, and then, yeah, so we, our meetings sometimes, they run from, like, um, we open the doors at 7, so everyone can have a, um, a bit of a social catch-up prior to meeting. We, we kick it off about 7.30, and some nights we're still there at 10.30, and I'm pushing them out the door and, <laughs> and lock, locking the doors and... and Driving away and they're still talking in the car park, um, <laughs> which is great. We try and organise a guest speaker every now and then 
um, to, on, on different topics. Um, next couple of months, hopefully we've got a taxidermist and a couple of other guys, and hopefully at some stage we're going to see you guys, some of you guys come up and have a talk to us too. That um, sounds fantastic. Yeah, and um, yeah, and, and uh, we're currently in the process of trying to get a, a bit of a Brisbane sub-branch going. Um, we've got a lot of members in Brisbane, and, and some of them do travel down to Narang for the meet, for the monthly meetings, but yeah. we're trying to get more of a, a base up there for those guys, and then the plans are over the next few years, hopefully, to sort of move back. Um, Brisbane can probably handle a couple of the branches and then the sun, Sunshine Coast has got a few guys up in that area as well. Yeah. And then more and more of us down here on this northern rivers end of the of the Gold Coast as well, um, across the border in New South Wales. And, um, yeah, we could probably sustain uh, sub-branches down here. But we, 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 you've got to, you've got to um, crawl before you can walk and walk before you can run. And we're definitely still at the crawling stage, you know. We're still trying yeah. to get membership services and things um, rolled out. And, um, yeah, so that's sort of where the best best way to, to contact us and find us is, is that web, web page. Um, we do have a JHAA uh, public Facebook page as well. Uh, it's just GH, if they just search um, JHAA on Facebook, they'll also find us. Um, we put up um, all our events. Yeah. Um, that's open to any anybody, and um, we do put up some other posts and things to create some discussion on that one. Um, and then we have a, cl- a closed group for our members, and you have to be 100%. You have to be a member. We don't allow anybody else into that. We keep it closed deliberately. Yeah. That's for our, that's for our members. That's for our internal discussions. It's for sharing our own our hunting trips and our photos and things like that. So yeah. Um, yeah, so that that's the other place to find us is that is that JSWA Facebook page. Yep. Fantastic. You guys are doing a great job, Steve. Um, especially with a lot of that education stuff because it, it is much needed with with people coming into hunting at a later age and and that gap that we've talked about. So, you guys are doing well, a really great job with that. Yeah, yeah thanks very much. And, and yeah, and, and also for our existing community. Yeah. Believe it or not, they need some education too. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's thanks very much because it, 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 it hasn't been well received at times but i believe we've got the runs on the ground now um you know um i've personally trained over 200 members myself now and since i started since i took this on yeah um i've been involved with the training of 200 of our of our members so you know um we, we run we run these education camps every about four times a year, so there it's a big job. It takes us there's a there's a hundred hours in each one of them for me. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yeah, but um, you know we we're open to other uh, groups. I've, I've put it out there with with other groups, and that we're always happy for other uh, hunting groups to come and see what we're doing. Yeah. Um, uh, you know. Look, look at resources and maybe there's some stuff we can do or we can share or we can uh, provide um, each other. Um, so, yeah, you know, I talked to some guys in some of the other hunting clubs around the, from time to time and, um, you know, um, Rod, you talked about as, as an industry, one of the, the things we, we really need is um, 
we need some peak bodies. Um, I'm not saying we need conservation groups like they, they've got in the in the states um, or even the Tar Foundation and, and things like that that they've got now got going in New Zealand. But at the at the eleventh hour, we, yeah. we need to we need to do things before it's the eleventh hour. And and you know um, we're we're part of the Federation of Hunting Clubs that operates in New South Wales. Yeah, um, it's our peak body, and I think there's fifty odd clubs in it now. Um, you know, and it, it's it's still a, still getting its legs under it, and you know there's been some changes in it in the last twelve months. And I've been watching from afar with it, and it, it's it's definitely getting going. And we just need to keep building tiers in our community of representation, so that you know they're talking to the next tier up and the next tier up's talking to someone else and finally we're talking to government or to organisations or media groups that we need to talk to, um, you know, in a well-informed uh, and balanced fashion. You know, we, we've got to stay balanced in all of this debate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Steve, um, again, thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate your time, mate. Um, it's... It really is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, for all our listeners out there, that's um, Steve Hall from the Game Hunters Association of, of Australia. If you're um, uh, up the top of New South Wales or or anywhere in Queensland as well, look them up um, and make contact. You'll be contacting Steve directly. Um uh, on any one of their um, uh, activations, which is Facebook or on their website. And uh, for all of our um, I Am Hunter members, we will have that, all those details in the post, so you can just scroll below to find those links. Fantastic. Thank you yeah, for listening, you. and thank you, Steve, for coming on the podcast. Well, I want to congratulate you guys for what you've done to you know, this is really needed in our community as well. Oh, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve.